0: Hi! This week on Papa PhD, I'm sharing my conversation with scientific writer and amazing human behind the Biomed Badass website, Vicky Sherwood. During our conversation, Vicky shared great advice based on her own career transition experience from academia into industry, but also on her experience helping other people make the jump. So be sure to have pen and paper at hand for this one. There are a lot of gold nuggets in there you'll want to remember.
1: I think you've got to try and be quite proactive, and, and you do need somebody who's going to speak for you, um, be it a mentor or e- even a line manager, somebody that you know is in a position to speak for you, especially in an organisation that's as, as large as a big pharma company, um, because it's, it's very difficult to get lost in the weeds in a company that size, and very easy to be pigeonholed as the writer in that therapeutic area or the R&D scientist working on those vaccines you know I think it's if you want to diversify out of course if you want to stay a specialist perfect because within industry you know you can specialize and become that specialist and stay as that specialist that go-to person for that information (laughs)
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendes, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week I have with me Dr. Victoria or as we know her on the on the social media Vicky Sherwood. Vicky is an expert scientific writer at Novartis in Dublin, Ireland. Prior to transitioning to the pharmaceutical industry, Vicky was a principal investigator running a skin cancer research lab at the University of Dundee in the UK. In her current role at Novartis, Vicky writes medical communications that disseminate the results of clinical trials, real-world evidence, and clinical opinions to the medical and scientific community. Her work supports Novartis Oncology to effectively communicate clinical research findings from their pipeline and across brands. Vicky also supports STEM professionals secure meaningful work outside academia through her website www.biomedbadass.com. She helps academic researchers understand the non-academic job market, identify careers that align with their values and skills, network productively, prepare applications that get noticed, and interview effectively for private sector jobs. Welcome to Papa PhD, Vicky.
1: Thanks so much, David. Thanks for the introduction. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's it's my pleasure, and um, that's, you know, all that I just said is... uh, you no, know, it's a lot of why I'm excited to have you here today. But to begin, maybe uh, what would you, what would be one thing you would add to this bio so that people who are watching and listening get to know who Vicky Sherwood is a little bit better?
1: Okay, can I just start with something not that interesting, but a dis, a disclaimer really that everything I say yeah, today ahead. is is from my own opinion, right? Not Novartis. I'm of not course. here to represent <laughs> Novartis, although I do I do work mm-hmm. for them, as you explained. Mm-hmm. So for people to get to know me a bit better. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: well I'm a bit of a I was a bit of a sports enthusiast. I, I, I used to play a okay. lot of sports before I had kids. Um and I still try to get out and do outdoorsy stuff. I like surfing, I like hiking, mm-hmm. um, I used to play I used to play football, sorry, soccer to, to most people. And I did that for hmm. years and years and years, but I just don't have time for these things anymore. But so now I watch okay. sports more and <laughs> well, play them. So I, I, the unhealthy to, side of sports, I guess. I'm sitting on a yeah, sofa. to live
0: vicariously. <laughs> so yeah. I'm curious. Uh, uh, so surfing in in the UK?
1: Yeah, it's not great. <laughs>
0: Okay but but there is there is there are spots. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. There's
1: a few. I mean, and actually the surfing's better in winter, which is a shame, right? Because it's it's too oh, cold and, and I like <laughs> need- I like my water sports frozen in the winter, you know, I, I like to see and stuff like that. So um yeah, I'm not I'm not keen on going in the sea. So so I tend to go out when it it's not great in the summer. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: but yeah, I mean it's not Hawaii, <laughs> right? So
0: <laughs> of course, of course. No, got. no. I, I, I understand. Even, even in Portugal, where I come from, the winter sea is—it's uh, really freezing. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. You need to have really thick. Uh, a, um, how do you call it? Wetsuit or something?
1: Yeah, but it, but you have great you have great surfing there in some spots. Right? Yeah, there's mm.
0: there's some really great spots. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I, I, so, I know that because a lot of people that I I see surfing in Ireland they go to Portugal yeah. for holidays or, or like surfing oh, retreats. It's, it's a popular No, no there's a bunch spot. of
0: spots. It's true. It's true. And in, in the summer is really pleasant and the beaches are really nice too. Mm-hmm. And the food and the people oh. blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me going. <laughs> Do
1: you get to go back much or
0: not? Uh not not too much but the, like next year I'm supposed to go in in the summer.
1: Great.
0: Yeah. But uh it's you know we try to get my parents to come we, can, we try to share the load mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. of coming and going.
1: Not not easy during a pandemic. Uh,
0: and no, no, we had to stop completely. Uh, and I, I think it's the reality for a lot of people who were abroad when it hit was that uh, unless they could, I don't know, uh, even going by, by land, it, it must have been difficult for for people to just cross borders. Right, so. yeah.
1: I mean, I live in Ireland and I'm from the UK and the flight is mm-hmm. less than an hour. And I felt like I might as well have gone and lived in New Zealand, you know, for as much as oh I my. didn't go back for nearly two years.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. That's it. The, yeah, there was we, there was a trip. My parents were supposed to come at the, right when it hit, and of course, that was you know they couldn't. They mm. had to to uh, get to um, cancel their tickets, oh. and there was until today there was no uh, no possibility to to meet. But next year, next year, fingers crossed. So be, uh, fingers
1: crossed.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> so today. We are here to talk about something that might, you know, that a lot of people are curious about, especially if they're still at the lab uh, in academia. Which is big pharma. Mm -hmm. Which is what's what does the life look like in big pharma? How how do I fit as a PhD, uh, or you know, as as someone who went to grad school in big pharma? And uh, and I know you you have experience there, but also I'm sure you've had a lot of uh, conversations about that. I know you've helped people do that transition. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I'm really, really excited to have this this conversation because I'm sure for a lot of people in the in the bios, in the biomedical domain in the in the life sciences, it is one of the 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 doorways that you kind of see if you want to to leave academia, but that can leave you, you know, can be daunting a little bit. There are huge organizations, uh, the, the culture, you, you know, people don't, before experiencing it, people don't really know what it is. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm really, really looking forward to to talking about
1: mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So it's, a, oh, well, that's a, that's a huge question, David. <laughs> Where do I start? So working in big pharma, I mean, it's completely, completely different to academia. But, I mean, pharma look to STEM professionals particularly to help them do most of the work that they do right because it it's technology based um and if you think about a pharma product you know you go through that development phase that long lead in phase before you get launched and then at the point of launch it goes through you know a life cycle of quick sales well um, sorry growing sales and then eventually it will it will start to once it's reached maturity then peter off as you reach that patent cliff and um I think it's, it's often quite common for scientists to think, well, the best place that they fit is obviously in that very early preclinical development phase. And I think traditionally that's probably a bit how the pharma industry saw scientists as well. That that was their place. Mm-hmm. But I think it's big,
0: bring them to the lab.
1: So yeah, bring your skills to the lab. Right. And and that transition in some ways is easier because your skills are directly transferable to the lab. Right. Those technical skills. Um, but actually i think as as things have progressed technology has increased um as patients want to know more about their disease we're all living for longer where the, the you know the global population is expanding people are living with chronic diseases and they want to understand what what is the best technology to help them manage their disease into late life they want you know a good long life right with um you know they don't want to be incapacitated for for the rest of it. They want they want to have the best life they can have, right? And I think that general interest from the public has changed healthcare. And on top of that, healthcare is becoming more and more expensive, and it, it's becoming more difficult for payers, insurance companies, governments, whoever's funding the healthcare system, to be able to access all those technologies. And a pharma works; it operates in that marketplace of healthcare. And so all these challenges and things that the pharma company are facing, they 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 go into after the products have been launched, right throughout the entire product life cycle. And I think what a lot of scientists don't appreciate is, pharma needs scientists throughout that entire spectrum of a product life cycle to communicate, to talk with doctors, to understand. There's so much more than just the preclinical development, and there's of course all the clinical development as well. So there is so much space within pharma for people with stem training and i think that's a message that you know it is on us in pharma to get that out so that people understand you know that we need them and we need their talents um, and we need to get that message to academia
0: mm-hmm. this is really interesting to me because one of the things that i try to, to tell people when they when they come to me is you are—you're not just a person who knows how to do a Western blot, how to pipette, how to sequence. People are, you know, a host of things. People have, you know, passions. People have uh, uh, hobbies. You know, they like to do sports. Uh, They—they—they're uh, they, there's, there's, complete beings. And uh, as a, a young researcher different you know there's a gamut of different skills that people have that are not related specifically to the technique uh, that they're using to the to the technology that they're using but some are great speakers some are great at uh, uh, you know creating posters or actually have blogs on um, on their research on their research domain uh, and i think more and more uh, people and even even graduate schools are helping young researchers spread a little bit more into those domains of communication, uh, um, well, science yeah science communication, outreach sometimes. And it feels to me that in that um, in that life cycle that you said that you just mentioned, if someone is really more tech technique, technology inclined, they can fit in in more of a beginning part like you like you said, which is kind of the natural natural thing you you think of immediately but someone who loves to write you know or even writes articles for let's say a a science journal or whatever there's other places where the different there's going to be different let's say job descriptions where they will fit along Mm -hmm. that path of of the life cycle right you yourself are in the writing part of things Mm -hmm. right
1: yeah yeah i'm in the communication (laughs) so i work across the whole product life cycle depending on which brand or um you know before it's even a brand right early in the mm-hmm. in the, in the uh-huh. pipeline
0: i work. it's just numbers that. and letters
1: yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so we work across that whole spectrum and and you're absolutely mm-hmm. right you know there are so many transferable skills that scientists bring that they learn you know during their studies in, in grad school um that, that, that the pharma pharma companies need and and it's not just communications because if we think about a product coming through that uh, I talked about that life cycle of the product so you get through the clinical development phase you show that your product is effective it's safe in a very predefined population right in your clinical trial in your phase 2 clinical trial and in that randomized control trial you'll take that to the FDA and you'll say look in the in this population it works it's safe we would like to now take it to the market and we would like to sell it to this these people under this indication And at that point, if you get approval from the FDA, you're licensed to go and sell your drug. And and so at that point, it, it becomes a brand, right? And it becomes on label. And a lot of things change. But the FDA aren't stupid. They know that you are going to take this into a much larger population, you know, more genetically diverse. In the clinical trial, you've been asking people to come in. With set criteria, you know how many drugs have they taken in the past you know and, and so it's a very predefined population, so when of course, when you 're going out into the marketplace and there's maybe you know hundreds of thousands, maybe more getting your drug, the FDA wants to know is there a safety indication that pops up, is it still effective you know with all the things that people are doing, like they, they haven 't controlled what eating, their diet or whether they're not they're sticking to the dosing, all these sorts of things, and you have to as a pharma company. To maintain your license you have to gather that data you have to keep retelling the fda you know yes it's safe here's our data this might be an indication we need to investigate this so that you need to be upfront and transparent about that um and we know we, we know of examples where you know drugs have gone into the marketplace and they've been withdrawn because of that data and so you know we need scientists to interpret that data as well and, and keep feeding that back and communicating that to the agencies so there's a whole gamut of you know technical support that's needed across that product life cycle um you know well in well into launch and beyond so it's a really exciting space i think um and, and i'm just keen to get that you know that message out there that there is so many options and somebody gave me great advice when i first started working in pharma and as you you mentioned i work in communications and they said to me you know there's so many different things you could work on there's so many therapeutic areas There's so many types of communications. There's so many, you could work on brands, you could work on really early products, you could work with this company, there's so many companies. There's so many options. Don't ever feel like when you get into the industry and and you you find yourself in not the right place, don't ever feel stuck because there's plenty of other things to try. Um, If you find yourself in somewhere you don't like or you're not finding it interesting or it's not intellectually stimulating enough or whatever, there's so many other things to try. Just keep looking, um, and that—that's—that—that that was very reassuring when I first broke into the industry to know that there are options there. Um, a, a, and you know, once I've got a bit of experience, I can start, you know, diversifying my skill set further. So it, it's a great space to be.
0: <laughs> that's really interesting, and I, I really want to. Fo- yeah, there's so many things <laughs> that you've said that I want to <laughs> talk about. But let's follow up. That 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 what you just said is you know if if you once you uh, have your foot in the door let's say and you you have this position how do, how does it work in terms of the dynamics of i real i okay i got into this position it's not fulfilling me completely how do you get to from point a to point b of I, I re- I'd i really like to try going, you know, to work with the marketing team, let's say, mm-hmm. on blah, blah. Or how, do, how does that mobility within uh, uh, an organization, within a, a corporation, and within teams, how does that work? How is that negotiated? How do you go about then, you know, once you get at the ground floor moving along, up, up, uh, sideways, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, how does that go? How,
1: yeah, that's what? that's a really interesting question. And it, it's actually something that I would like to talk a bit more about on various platforms. But I think it's quite important. And, you know, I've learned a lot. Of it. I've only been in, I have to say, the caveat is I've only been in the industry for about five years. So I, I, I'm still learning as well. But what I've picked up in these five years is that you have to be fairly proactive about that right you have to be able to put your hand up and say i think i'd be interested in in learning a bit more about this um i think it's very it's very typical that as a scientist you know with technical expertise and therapeutic area expertise you come into something and you almost become pigeonholed as somebody with that technical expertise They think, okay vicky she works in oncology as a writer Mm -hmm. right so it's easy for me to be pigeonholed as an oncology writer and and I think you know to to a large degree that's what my my resume screens right because that's what my experience shows so if I want to try and learn a new skill set or diversify I've learned that very early on I have to find the right people so people who are connected within that company people who have a voice when you're not in the room right who are going to say Oh, I think Vicky might like to try that. You know, she said she'd be interested in learning more about this. And, and this is an interesting project. And I think she'd be well fit, you know, be a good fit. And I've learned to try and and figure out and navigate that and then try and get my messages across, you know, saying I would like to to learn more about this area. And I think you've got to try and be quite proactive and and you do need somebody who's going to speak for you. Um, be it a mentor or e- even a line manager, somebody that, you know, is in a position to speak for you, especially in an organisation that's as, as large as a big pharma company, um, because it is very difficult to get lost in the weeds in a company that size, and very easy to be pigeonholed as the writer in that therapeutic area or the R&D scientist working on those vaccines. You know, I think it's, if you want to diversify, out. of course, if you want to stay a specialist, perfect. Because within industry, you know, you can specialise and become that specialist and stay as that specialist, that go-to person for that information. But likewise, if you want to diversify, I think it's kind of on you to almost put yourself out there and show you want that and maybe do some training in your free time um, and and say to your boss, you know, I've I've done these LinkedIn courses. I I want to learn more about X, Y and Z. What what, What options are there for me? Are there any projects I could get involved in? Is there anyone I could work shadow, or maybe a team that I could go and work for for three months? And so you've got to be quite proactive, I think.
0: That uh, that sounds really logical, <laughs> and uh, and um, so self advocating is important. Networking also, but um, I kind of I kind of want to go back and, and talk. You know, you talked about the life cycle of the of a pharmaceutical product, but I kind of want to. Go and talk about the life cycle of the young researcher who jumps into big pharma and how, you know, and how, what type of conversation, what type of habits they might not have from coming from research, from academia, and that they need to pick up right away. Because what I'm feeling is you need to learn the culture and then you need to gain some habits that are going to help you. Mm-hmm you talked about something that I am always very curious about, uh, because I, I didn't get, uh, I didn't find someone that I can consider a mentor during my, my graduate school. Uh, and a mentor, it's, you know, it's, it's someone not, not in your lab. It's someone who, who kind of is your champion and, and is kind of an outside, has an outside look on what things are happening. And, um, it seems to me that, uh, there's there there must be some habits that you must gain to allow yourself within an organization to find someone who can play this role of mentor because if you're a little bit more reserved shy uh, I don't know um it might be difficult uh anyway i i i'm putting there's a lot of layers to what i'm saying but let's talk about this thing of finding a mentor and i think this is useful not only for people outside academia but also inside but how do you go about, within a large organization, how do you go about finding someone who can become potentially a mentor for you Yeah. and a champion for you?
1: I think you use the right word there, champion, because you know a mentor's great and someone you can bounce ideas off, but ideally you want someone who's going to champion you, which is what I was saying about behind that closed mm-hmm. door, what that conversation is. Who's going to put their hand up and say, I think Vicky's a good person for that? That's mm-hmm. kind of what you've got to find. And I'm afraid you do find that through b- doing a bit of networking. And um, early on in my career, I, I was not good at men- uh, networking. I mean, I-, I just was not. I just thought, oh, what a frivolous activity. You know, it's for salespeople. It's not for me. I'm a serious scientist. You yeah, know, I'm not going to work the room or dress to impress or any of these things. You know, I didn't. I thought it was sleazy and below me. Um, and actually, you know, it-, it was a pretty arrogant outlook, I think, because actually, what I've discovered over time is that networking is more about building relationships. And I started to see it as I do this anyway. Right? I have friendships, you know, with people. I build relationships with them. Why should being in a professional environment be any different? Right? Professional networking is about building relationships. And that's all about, you know, building rapport, finding common ground and all those types of things. So I think what you've got to do is, is pretty much try and talk to as many people as you can within the organisation. Of course, that's difficult now that we have a lot of remote working. And a lot of people you know, are not in an office. There's no water cooler chat as such. Um, and, and so it boils down to pretty much putting yourself out there and just asking the question blatantly, who, who should I be talking to next? You know, who should I be talking to about this? And I think one of the best things that served me is really boiling down a few key messages that I want to get out there. Um, And then using those messages to kind of reinforce where I wanted to go next or what I wanted to learn more about. So I'll give you an example. When I was transitioning out of academia, obviously, I was leaving academia. It's a new identity. Um, I was coming into this new industry. I didn't know anything about it. But I'd realised that how I got the job in the first place was by explaining that I like to take complex scientific information and I like to distill it to simple messaging. And I also knew, the other thing I knew was that, you know, I'd been a PI. So I, I was obviously older coming into this industry. I was coming in with people who were in their, their 20s, right? Starting off. Um, and so I, I thought it would be quite important to explain where, where I'd come from and my background. And that I had this 18 years of oncology experience work or cancer research experience working in, in academia. So I used these three messages, right? I, I use these three messages all the time. So when somebody introduced me, I said, Oh, hi, I'm Vicky. Um, I'm an XPI. I used to work in skin cancer research. I've always enjoyed taking complex scientific messages and and condensing scientific information, condensing into simple messages. And I would use that reinforcement way of of introducing myself all the time to begin with. And then people would say, oh, there's Vicky. She she always liked writing. and So she's come into the right, you know, the the academic, sorry, from an academic background into the industry. um, And she's got a lot of oncology experience. So. We've got this new project starting with this new drug in prostate cancer. Maybe Vicky would be interested in working on those projects. And through that messaging, I realised things were coming my way because I kept reinforcing the message. Um, and it was all about really learning how to how to change people, how to influence what people were saying when I wasn't in the room. In a way, reinforcing all the time. Those messages because I wanted those cancer projects. I wanted to learn more about that. I wanted to use my skill set that I was bringing with me. And so that set me in good stead. And when I started to think, you know, later on I might like to diversify my skills further, I would start incorporating new messages into things that I was saying to people. Um, and sometimes it happens where you get introduced to your boss's boss's boss, right? They, they come to the office or there's, you know, I don't know, a, a round table event. And they say, oh, hi, h- who are you? And it's a perfect time when you've got those messages, you know, that you can mm-hmm. get them out there. So in the back of your mind, they're there. And, and there doesn't need to be many. I would say no more than three. You don't want to be implanting more than three pieces of information because the, the, the mind can't process more than three or four things at any one time. But that continuous reinforcement really does help. And I just wished I'd used that earlier on in my career. because I think <laughs> I'd have gone faster, quicker. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been a really good thing. And so when I started at Novartis, and I started at Novartis at the beginning of the year, I came in with a certain few things I wanted to say, and I realised pretty quickly I need to know uh, people who understand the part of the organisation in which I work, which is the, the scientific writing team. And so I started to find people um, within that scientific writing team that I, I thought would, would be able to have a voice for me, and I would be able to implant those messages on. And so Kind of, it, it sounds very strategic and and, and very um, pre-planned, but it, it's kind of just you can incorporate it in into your daily work and and meet people and, and kind of reinforce that messaging. And it really does go a long way because I used to make a big mistake when I was in academia because I used to always tell people when my grant when I hadn't got a grant, I used to go, "Oh no, I haven't got that grant again," and, you know, "Oh, what is going to happen to me? It's terrible." And I realised what people were saying was, you know, they were, they were saying, oh, Vicky, you know, over coffee or whatever, Talking, my name would come up and they say, oh, Vicky didn't get that grant again. You know, and, and so that messaging would be reinforced, that negative messaging all the time. And, and I didn't realise, you know, that that is damaging, right, to have that kind of reinforced negative messaging. So I thought I'm going to change this and I'm going to enforce what I want the messaging to be. Um, and I think that is generally a good strategy for, for any career really um, yeah so anyway it, it's working out for me no
0: no. <laughs> no no for sure and it it makes total sense to me it makes me think that yeah the words have more power than we imagine when they when especially when they start echoing in other chambers mm-hmm. either p- positively or negatively like you just said and um it makes me think of, about different things but one thing that it, it makes me think and i just uh published so this week's episode that came out on the podcast Is about marketing yourself as a young researcher, and it makes me think of personal branding. And there's books about um, business model. You let's say, Mm -hmm. and what it sounds to me is like you are working the way you this method that you that you found out works uh, is uh, is kind of a a personal branding method, but projecting to to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a. It's like if you. unconsciously or you know you found out you found a way to always have kind of a a short elevator pitch of you Mm -hmm. and of of where you want to be be it could be in academia but it can also be within an organization and and this way if you somehow are in the elevator with the boss of your boss of your (laughs) boss you have that like 90 second i am this person i like doing this i'd love to do that these are my strengths Ding, we arrived at the seventh floor. Let's, mm-hmm. and thank you. Bye bye. And you'll, you'll have planted those ideas in the person's ear and in the person's brain. And eventually you'll come up, uh, you know, top of mind whenever that, that, that arises. I love it. I really, really, yeah, find I, it super I, that is so
1: true. But I, I don't like to pitch or I try not to give it as a pitch. I try to give it more conversationally. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily all have to come together the way I said it, but I will implant those kind of messages into the conversation somehow i will try to get them in there somehow um so yes it is it's exactly that it's personal branding but yeah di- we're ditching the pitch idea
0: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it just made me because it has all the elements of it right yeah, but of course it, is. Yeah. It, it, it can sound artificial if you if you do it if it's too scripted for sure right and i don't <laughs> think anyone likes
1: to be sold to do they certainly not in an elevator or over a round table coffee discussion or something <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think pitches have have their moments where they're you know where they're uh, they are, they uh, are logical to you. You know, it's uh, they're supposed to be used. But uh, yeah, I I understand what you're saying, and but but I think that the process of finding these three points, the process of, of working to, towards having them and knowing them, it, the process is, is the same as if you were finding out. Okay, what do I need to what do i need to say in a in a pitch that's why it came to mind yeah
1: that's so right though that's so true the process is the same because i always try to have a super skill in there a super strength you know something that i want to be remembered for for you know because i think i found as well when 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 you ask people what do they say about you in a closed room when you think about that question what do you think people say about you when you're not there a lot of people say oh, I'd like to think, or I hope they say that I'm nice or I'm friendly, or very rarely I find people are talking about somebody's personality. They might tag that on to something, but usually they're talking about, oh, they're skilled in this. Oh, and they happy to be, They happen to be also really easy to talk to. You know, they might tag on a personality thing, but the, your name usually comes up when there's a skill or a need or something being talked about. So if you're reinforcing what your strengths your super strength is or just your skills in some way mm-hmm. that's when your name might come up at the right moment, so I always in those three elements that I'm talking about any one time, I always try to have a strength in there, some kind of a something I want to be noted for, so in the example before it was you know obviously taking complex information you know because I wanted to break into the writing field um into the scientific writing field, but when I was in there, I also wanted to be known as somebody with expertise in oncology so. I just told as many people as I could. That I came with these expertise in, in cancer research, and and so I always try to have those kind of things in there as well. As I said, so that if projects, interesting projects come up, maybe my name will at some point. Um, yeah. yeah,
0: and they and they did it. They did it. It seems they
1: did. <laughs> so far, <laughs> so far.
0: <laughs> that's that's really, really, really great advice. Now, and I think this can be used at different steps because you know I was talking about the the life cycle of of the 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 employee coming straight out of, of academia and uh, the first step that uh, that usually i mention is while you're still uh, doing your research uh, in, in academia is start talking with people you know do uh, uh, informational interviews and i feel that having also this this these three messages uh, you know, at, at, on the back of your mind can also help in that setting. Is that, is that something you've seen? How did how did the transition go for you? The, those first conversations that brought you to your first pharma uh, job? You know,
1: I, I could talk about this. I could wax lyrical on this for the whole <laughs> day, David, be warned, because I am such an advocate for networking because that is exactly how I made the transition. I didn't do the scattergun approach of uh, apply for everything. I basically decided what I wanted to do through informational interviewing. And at that point, I spoke to more writers because I knew I decided I wanted to be a writer in the pharma industry, doing various types of writing and and communications. I I spoke to people across the spectrum. Then I discovered that I was specifically interested in medical communications, which is an area of scientific writing in the pharma industry. And so at that point, I wanted to talk to more medical communications writers. And it was at that point through talking to them and and learning the language of what they did that I started to to start to be able to use that same language, which made me more of a credible candidate. And and through those conversations, I actually got introduced to the decision makers, people at their companies who were hiring or had influence to influence the hiring managers. Right. Um, And through those conversations, I got invited to interviews. So in the end, I. I started to to realise which companies I thought were the best ones. And I had a list of five that I wanted to target. I was based in the UK at the time. And they were all in London. And um, I was in Scotland, so I knew we were going to have to move down to London because uh, there was no remote working, this was pre-pandemic, and um, or no remote working, sorry, for entry level. There was remote working for senior staff. Um, and so I I pinpointed those five companies, I targeted employees in those five companies. And through those conversations, I then started to, as I said, get linked through to the hiring managers. Um, and it was through those conversations with the hiring managers, I got the interviews. And I think from those five companies, I got invited to, I, I, I ap- applied for four in the end. I got invited for three interviews and I got two offers. So, you know, it was very, very targeted. But it's time consuming because, you know, you have to have that that lead in. So you have to give yourself time. It's It's no good submitting the thesis and then worrying about getting a job. You you have to be leading into this six to twelve months in advance if you want to do that approach. But I think it's a far more effective approach because you have more chance of getting something that's right for you rather mm-hmm. than just falling into something because it's available or because you you've managed to get it at the last minute.
0: Exactly. Mm. I I I totally I totally agree and and uh it really talks to the power of networking and and I'm really happy that you share this because especially if uh you know if you were you know very involved or you know exclusively involved in your research and, and didn't do any networking you you know what will happen is that what you said you're going to send CVs you know to to uh, i don't know how many uh, uh job postings and um and it's it can take the same time and you won't be building any relationships through that process You'll just be a, but you know, a couple of sheets of paper on someone's desk that they'll look through, and maybe you'll interest them, you'll interest them. And here, it feels like, yes, it takes time, and and you know, building relationships, human relationships takes time. Uh, but it feels that the the you know, one conversation, the next, the next, you always are. There's always a brick that you're adding to this wall for, after one conversation. It maybe it's a, a Terminology that you learned, maybe it's uh, a new job, a new job description that you didn't know existed, and th- and then there's just the human aspect of having of building this network. I think I I would uh, advocate for that a hundred percent. Like you said, you 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 could talk a lot about it. I think it's the way to go. It's. Uh, networking 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 and now we're you know you can you can network with people who are across the globe today through linkedin let's say and uh so i think it's a missed opportunity to not do it even if you're shy you know it's it doesn't come easily on a on a platform that's you know that's built like linkedin it's there's no um it's not menacing at all. People are ready if they're on LinkedIn; they're ready to be approached. So don't be scared of uh, bugging them. And you know, if they don't answer, it's probably because they're too busy. But you, you'd be surprised how many people are ready and happy to to share some of their of their paths, some of their know how, and just to talk with someone who is interested, who has same who has common interests with them.
1: I think if you do target people who've been through the same journey right so anyone who's come out of grad school and struggled with that same transition they're often willing to give back I was so pleasantly surprised how many people gave me time there's a few rules to, to follow and, and the first is to try and find that common ground and then I think stay, you know I, I will only take 10 or 15 minutes of your time and then be really strict with that because often that's all you need right just to To make that first approach and build that connection and and start to to learn that that terminology and build your 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 candidacy your credibility as a candidate um i don't think it takes a lot of time up front and and often once it gets to the 15 minutes that you said you would have people will allow you an extra five or ten minutes often if the conversation flowing and you've built rapport you know they'll they'll allow that just be very upfront and say i realize we're at our time um you know, we can follow this on later, or right? maybe I could reach out to you later on. And then and often they'll say, oh, no, we can, you know, continue the conversation. So um, I think, you know, don't, make it easy for somebody. And the chances mm. are, you will you will receive a, you know, a positive response, and they will help you. And and the other thing is to to not ask them for any great things. Like don't ask them for, here's my CV in advance, my resume, can you please check it? Or, is there any jobs going in your company? You know, anything like that. That's not what those kind of conversations about, those informational interviews. They're about research. They're about learning about the job, whether it's right for you, whether it's interesting, what's happening in that industry. um, Who are the key players? Who could I talk to next? They're the questions you want to be finding out. Because at that point, as you said, you're building that wall with those individual bricks. It's a great analogy because that, that's what you're doing, and it takes a few conversations. It takes a long time to do, uh, but it's well worth it. And as you said, the, the scattergun approach of just sending your resume out, it, hoping that it sticks somewhere, I just would I would have found that so demoralising. You know, to, yeah.
0: you hear about people
1: <laughs> who say I, I've applied for a hundred plus jobs, and you think, how did you get to that point without you know being so miserable? Uh, the level of rejection it must have been so difficult to, to get through that i i didn't i didn't want to do that and also i felt like i didn't know anything outside of academia being in academia for so long but i felt i had to do i felt compelled to do these information interviews just to figure out what what else was out there
0: that's exactly what i was going to say which is uh, the, apart from everything that you just said you by having conversations you can you'll you know you'll glean information organically and slowly but but surely about the culture of this organization about the day-to-day of this type of job that that by sending a cv you get nothing Mm. back
1: yeah absolutely yeah you'll get no feedback right for most of them that's it (laughs)
0: that's it vicky we're you know we're getting to the end of the interview and and this has been so interesting and we focused mainly on on one thing which is networking but i think it's important to say it because uh it's it's it is key. It it is key to getting your, your foot in the door and then it is key to evolving within the within the um, the organization. We didn't talk about the day to day about the culture about what culture shock you can have uh, getting in and the way I, I I'd like to talk about it is you have the website Biomed Badass. You help people do this transition and considering your experience with Biomed Badass from people who who come to who come see you asking for your help what are like three or or two let's say two key things that you teach them or that you open their eyes to uh, that that help them smoothly transition to to this new universe that has you know different habits different culture different pace uh, of you know of of projects etc is there one or two key things that either people come to you anxious about or that when you when you show people uh, these things it kind of is an aha moment for them
1: the two key things that people come to me mostly about is is what we've spoken about which is actually that application and how to get that job and i do get a lot of those people who say i have been applying for over a year and i've got nowhere and i know exactly what they've done they've done the shotgun approach and they haven't done that kind of networking um So I get a lot of that. So then I I try to direct them down the route that I took and say, start building Mm -hmm. these bridges. And also, you know, you can you can send your applications out as alongside doing this networking. Why not do both? Why not build both of that? And I I talk about this um, on my YouTube channel. I talk about it on my blog and through my newsletter. I was just going to say, if anybody wants to subscribe and learn more. Um, you go to the Biomed Ballast website and you can hit the subscribe button for my newsletter uh, and I send out all the updates but basically I talk about this kind of multi-channeled approach to the job search not just focusing on job boards because those job boards are candidate magnets right and a lot of those people Mm -hmm. coming to those job boards and we hear about you know at least 200 applicants for most roles at the minute we're reading which is you know a huge amount and for the, the biggest companies it's more than that right Um, A lot of those people would be coming with prior industry experience. And it's just natural for hiring managers to think, well, I know this person can do this job, so I'm going to give them the job. I don't know exactly if this person coming from academia can do it. So they they seem a bit more of a risk. Um, So so in that sort of scenario, we're up against, you know, maybe over 100 people, some of whom have got industry experience. Your chances of transitioning academic is greatly reduced, right, which is why you need to take this multi-channel this different approach because essentially you're taking a career change. Um even if you're moving into a lab where you're using the same techniques um into an R&D lab you're still going from one culture one one academic environment where you do everything's based on knowledge creation into this industry environment where you know it, it, this commercial you know it, it's driven by commercial activity that's a completely different culture shift and we mentioned culture a bit um, and it is different. Um, so that's that's probably the first thing that, that people come to me for. And the second one is a lot of people are just very unsure. They just don't know what there is out there. Um, and as I as we described at the beginning, the pharma industry is enormous. There's so many things for STEM folks to do. I'm not sure I still know them all. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I know a lot of the jobs, I know a lot of the areas, but I'm still discovering new roles and I see new things advertised. Um, and I think, wow, that's that's a really interesting job. And they're, actually, they're changing all the time. You know, the industry is being revolutionized in a digital way, and we're going to see more jobs coming on that we've not seen before. Right? And that's just going to keep going and going. So I think it's just important to talk to people right, and to get that understanding and, and learning and try and learn from people in the industry. I think it's very di- it, it is difficult in academia because you're in your little academic bubble. But a lot of people within that system have never been anywhere else. They've always been in academia. And so you can't really learn from them, you know, what the industry trends are, what the jobs are out there, because they'll be able to tell you a bit, right? But they're getting that information often secondhand. So it's far better to get the ins and outs and the nitty gritty details from people in that industry. So I guess my answer to both of this is get on LinkedIn. You know, and a network and talk to people, and that's an important strategic part of of your job search and your transition. It's so so important um, for any career changer.
0: Yeah, or if you are you you like to organize things and events. Get together with other students and bring people, bring alumni from where you are who are now in industry in these positions. Bring them to your center and and have like their prime, you know, some prime time with them to ask them all these questions. And the fact that you have this commonality with them will, will make it that you can even, you know, you can go deeper into the questioning. They'll, you know, they'll they'll be happy to come and give back to to their. To the, the cohorts that came after them, that's another way to go, and I've, I've, you know, I've talked about it with, with other guests, and you know, this sometimes uh, this was uh, Adriana Banks and the, this program that she started when she was in grad school. It's still going on. People come regularly, alumni to to visit and talk with current students, and that's another way to go. It's it's a little bit more involved mm-hmm. in a way. But you know some people are really good at these things and, and really thrive organizing these types of, of of things and um I think it would be a way to go, but definitely talking talking with people who are where you think you might want to be for sure yeah,
1: absolutely and and the, the, that is a great approach, but even if your institution doesn't have something as great as that, um you can use LinkedIn to find alumni um and LinkedIn did some research actually about connections they they looked at which were the most popular connections that people are most likely to respond to you if you have a connection with. And one of the most common is if you've been to the same school, right? If you've been to the same university or had the same educational background. Um, And so you can hit the alumni tab on LinkedIn. It will pull everybody up who's been to your university or your institution. And then you can search through those alumni for your key companies that you're interested in working in. This is another key fact that I think is really important try to as i said narrow down companies to maybe your top five that you want to focus on and then start looking for people there because it will give you a target will give you somewhere to focus your efforts um and that really stood me in good stead as well for the transition so so linkedin is an is an amazing tool and i think even more now there's there's so much out there information for people that didn't even exist you know 6 7 years ago when i was thinking about this transition when i was starting to think about it you know if i think about even the papa phd podcast would have been great for me through my <laughs> transition um if if we'd had it back then so, so there was there's so much more now you know on the internet that you can find and, and support and help you can get so uh, it's good times i think if you're thinking of making that move into industry
0: it's true. It's true, and and uh, you just to go back to the alumni uh, aspect. It, it makes that first conversation so much easier because of the commonality, mm-hmm. because of the of of that uh, kind of maybe nostalgia that they might have. And uh, so, for sure, follow that that yeah. uh, that lead because it's it's a really really good one. Vicky, uh, sadly, we've we've reached the end of the interview. Uh, we've talked about your website, and you know, if people who've been watching or listening. If this resonated with you and they want to ask you more questions, follow up on your projects, maybe ask you about what you do, what's the best way to, to reach you, uh, let's say, on social media?
1: Yeah, well, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so so you can, you can find me there. Um, I'm on Twitter as well. But, you know, sign up for the newsletter as well. Talk to me and correspond with me through that. I focus a lot of my efforts on the farmer industry. On medical communications, which is a specific area I work in as a scientific writer, um, and generally on transitions out of academia to industry. So, if you're interested in any of those or all three of them, definitely you know feel free to reach out to me, and I try to get back to as many people as I can and answer as many questions as I can. Um,
0: Perfect. Yeah. So, so just look for Vicky Sherwood on LinkedIn, and you'll find you her will. for sure. Yeah. And then, if you look for Biomed Badass, also you'll you'll find her work. Okay. Uh, and I put all those links in the show notes and uh, in, in the show notes of of this uh, this interview. Uh, Vicky, this this was really really cool. It's it's funny because we really dove deep into that aspect of networking, and it's the, I think it's the first time I spent almost a whole interview working uh, talking just about that. But I think that no, but I think that. What was really cool is that first you connected it to your story of how you did things. Second, it's very logical to me what what you said. It totally totally makes sense. And third, I think people need to because you hear networking a lot. Like now, it's one it's a term that comes up so much, and people might be tired of. They see they might glaze over and 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 just uh, by just seeing networking. Okay, someone's again talking about networking, and I think th- just uh, th- the fact that this is uh, is you know geared this this show is geared to a specific population who might have been so busy during these I don't know three to six years of the PhD that they might have not invested at all in networking. I think it was it's necessary to kind of normalize it and make people think about it for like top of mind when thinking of transitioning careers because uh that the the shotgun approach is really it's it's uninspiring and uninspired and and it's (laughs) immoralizing and it's there's this there's this human aspect of communicating with other people and and establishing relationships that it lacks completely mm-hmm. and i think in the end what gets people jobs is that human aspect yeah and uh and so i'm really really grateful that you came and that and that uh, we ended up following that uh, that rabbit hole and
1: also <laughs> um absolutely it's important for your transition but those skills you will take through right which which i'm using now you will take through it through your career wherever you end up even if you stay in academia the best academics the most successful professors you know they will be fantastic networkers
0: of course of course <laughs> vicky um this was great thank you so much for having been on papa phd it's it's been a really really great pleasure
1: thank you so much david for the invite I've really enjoyed the conversation thanks
0: thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast Head over to PapaPhD.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.